Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the CMYK Talks podcast. My name is Seth Hirschkorn, and it is a nice day. It's a good day to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, I, hmm, how shall I begin? All the ways I could begin. Um, I, I think where I need to start with this is this is a very uh, interesting conversation for me because we're, we're doing this talk series called Agree to Disagree. And last week, Matt um, did this really great job talking about um, do all things in love, this this profound idea of listening <clears throat> and listening to another person's story. Um, and, and and this week, what I'm bringing to you is I'm bringing to you the other side of that, that, that the only way this agree to disagree thing works is if there's a listener, but also a storyteller, that both sides have to tell a story and both sides have to listen to the other story. But I have found that as I've been working through this, there's some difficulties I find in what it means to tell your story, that I wish it was just as simple as tell it. But I think from my lens and from my viewpoint where I've been lately and my life that's been unfolding the last couple of years that I find it's really hard to tell my story. Um, uh, one time I was sitting in my advisor's office. His name's Alan. He's an advisor at the college I go to and um, really phenomenal guy. And so it's about six months ago that I'm sitting in his office and we're talking about just life and, and some of our experiences and things that have happened. And he's a, he's a teacher who, or a professor who teaches um, reading and writing. Uh, I think it's mostly reading, but he teaches reading and, um, it's a weird thing like, oh, you teach reading, what does that entail? And so there's a lot of questions asked. And so I asked him one time, well, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite children's books we're talking about? And he said, how much time do you have? And I said, oh, I've got plenty of time, Alan. So he gets up and he closes the door to his little office, just two grown men sitting in this little tiny office, closes the door and grabs a book off the shelf called The Miraculous Adventure of Edward Tulane. And he pops it open and he starts reading to me out loud. And it was kind of weird at first. I, I think I've told this story before. It's kind of weird at first, but it was really this beautiful moment because he starts reading this story to me out loud. And for about the next 45 minutes, he reads to me. And eventually because of prior obligations and commitments, I have to leave because my phone's blowing up. And so I ask him if I can take the book with me. So that night I take it home and I end up reading it out loud to my wife, Michaela, just like Alan was reading out loud to me. And Michaela and I then took turns back and forth, reading the story out loud together, sitting in bed. And it's, it, it truly is a marvelous story. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is beautiful. I, I never thought a children's story could be so beautiful and it's so good. Um, but we are, <laughs> we're, we're reading the story and we finish it and there's, there, there's tears in my eyes. Cause it's a beautiful story. And, and it, just this, it was just, it was so good. And so, um, I, I returned the book to Alan and we start talking about the story and we we go down this rabbit trail of story and how powerful story is and how good stories transcend time. That there's there's a reason stories are around. Like stories are the backbone of all culture and society and religion. Like stories, stories is how it all started. That before it was ever written down, it was a story. And whether it's uh, the Bible or the Quran or or the Bhagavad Gita or the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Iliad or the Odyssey, stories have these powerful, powerful uh, spirits to them. These power stories just contain so much power. And what's crazy is um, we we all then also have this story to tell because story is a part of everything. Story is is the makeup of all things is stories. So you have a story and I have a story and we have a story and 
where they may not be made, um, you know, my story may not ever be as prominent as the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Bible, I still have a story to tell. And this is ultimately where it gets very difficult for me when we agree to disagree, because I've found in the last 20-some years of my life that sharing your story can be very, very difficult. And there's some barriers that get put up at times when it comes to sharing your story. And I know that for me, um, I have been hesitant to share my story for a really long time and really lean into the things that I need to lean into. And and it, it, it provides an additional barrier to agree to disagree. Because to agree to disagree is to tell a story and to listen to a story and, and have understanding about it in some capacity. And the problem that I'm finding or have found is that for so many years, I wasn't able to fully communicate my story and tell my story because there were, there were these things inside me that was preventing me from doing it. So we back up. Um, I was a youth pastor for about a decade of my life. Um, and um, I used to, when I was first done being youth pastor, I had a really hard time looking back on it and finding joy in it. And there was just a lot of things that I had difficulty with because again, sometimes the story gets messy and I'll give you an example of that now. But one of the things I'm most proud of in my tenure as a youth pastor was um, this one particular night in uh, 2015 where I looked at some of the closest people to me in my in, in the ministry we were a part of and um, there was this problem I had. Because um, one of the things that pastors often do, and um, and and I think I was guilty of this, and I think um, I think it's just I think it just happens in the church realm a lot, where uh, pastors who lead a group of people generally use the skills of observation to assume the needs of a lot of their people. And so what that does is that shapes a lot of their teaching and it shapes, like if you're a teaching pastor, which is what I did for the youth group, it it shaped a lot of like the teaching that you do or the things you create that you assume a lot of the needs of the people you try and lead. And I got to this place where I was really sick of assuming the needs of my students because I was sick of having to simply observe and say, well, this is what they must need or look at the situation of the world around me and go, well, they need to hear this from my mouth because it's important. And so this one night, it was May 20th, uh, 2015, I brought two big whiteboards into uh, the, the place where we met, the space where we met. And I looked at these people close to me. I said, hey, we're going to take a, maybe maybe it's a risk sign. I don't know what it is, but we're going to try something new because I'm really sick of assuming what my students need. And so we bring in these two giant whiteboards and we hand around some mics all night. And we kind of do this, we create this space where students are allowed to um, ask their deepest questions about life or share their greatest fears or, or, or the things they're wrestling with, or their ideas, or their thoughts, or the things that they might be insecure about. Just give them a space and a place to express this stuff and get it out in the open. And so what we did is we told them we were going to, as they expressed these things, we'd write them on, on these whiteboards in front of them. And so for the next like two hours, we passed the mic around. It goes really well, and students are sharing all kinds of very intimate thoughts and ideas. And and I still often go back to these questions and, and thoughts and look at them because I think they're so profound that a group of high schoolers would be so vulnerable, not only in front of each other, but in front of adults and people that, yeah, it, it was just really awesome. But the second to last person of the night stood up and, and they grabbed the mic and and, and I'll never, I, just this moment just sticks out in my head, but they grabbed the mic and they said, will you go to hell if you're gay? And I remember turning around and pushing back tears as I'm writing this on the whiteboard because all I wanted to do was wrap this student up in my arms and tell them it was going to be okay and that they're loved because I think with this question came a lot of baggage and insecurity and fear 
that you know, there's a narrative that they have been told that because of a, a particular thing about them, their sexuality, they are they are they are bound for hell. And and it was really interesting uh, for me because with where I was at the time, I uh, hang on. So what we do is we take the questions. Um, we take these questions and, uh, we take the summer off cause it was, it was May and we take June, July and August off and all summer, I'm kind of mulling over these questions, and these thoughts. And we ended up calling the next year, the whiteboard sessions where every week we would pick a different topic or question or insecurity or fear. And we just kind of wrestle through it as a group of people. And I try really hard to give easy answers instead, try to ask more questions and try and try and just get my students to think about life. And, and so every single week I'm sitting in my office trying to pick out which question, thought, fear, insecurity, whatever to teach on. And every week I'm staring at this one question, will God send you to hell if you're gay? And every week, all I wanted to do was to stand up in front of my students and look at them and say, no, I don't think that you will be sent to hell because you're gay. Because I think there's a narrative of love and a gracious God that is much more profound than a handful of verses in the Bible. And that's, that's where I was at. And I never did. So that, that year, I think I taught like 30 times because that's how the calendar works out, that there's certain months and weeks you take off. And based on all the times you teach, like once a week, there's probably 25 or 30 times that I taught. And every single time I looked at this question, every single time I avoided it. And I avoided it because I knew that there were people around me, that I would lose their respect. I knew that I would possibly lose my job over this idea. I knew that I, that means I could lose my paycheck and fear and insecurity and worry gripped me. So what I did is I micromanaged and I controlled the situation to, to the best of my abilities. That rather than tackling this question and trying to bring from my standpoint, comfort to this, 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 this person, this creature that was obviously tormented by this question, I couldn't bring myself to it. And, and then the other side of that is, well, why don't you just pull this student aside and tell them on your own? And just for the same reason I didn't publicly declare it because I was afraid that it would get out somehow. And we had, we had some pretty conservative people, both in, in, in the leadership and in the room. And I was afraid of, I was afraid of, losing respect. I was afraid of losing my job. I was afraid of losing my paycheck. I was afraid of what people would think about me. And, and I missed an opportunity to tell a student that I think they're deeply loved by God, regardless of their sexuality and their sexual orientation, because of my fear and insecurity and worry and control. About six months ago, I'm uh, working at Angry Hank's Microbrewery here in Billings, Montana, and and it's a Friday night. And Friday nights are really interesting because it's Hank's busiest night of the week, and so usually they staff three bartenders. And so on this particular night, we had three bartenders, and it's always a lot of fun on Fridays because you have you know you're working with more people. It's a, just a it's a high volume night, so it's really fun and fast paced. But on this particular Friday, it was very slow. Now, slow Fridays are also a lot of fun because you start throwing beer ba beers back, and you start you know you know, just chit-chatting with the regulars and laughing, and having a good time. And, and you've got three people. So the cleanup of the night's even quicker. It's it, it. So the slow nights are just as fun as the busy nights. And so I, I'm sitting there on this Friday night 
uh, with my two coworkers and I'm, I'm at the end of the bar BSing with someone and, and this lady comes up to me and she says, Hey, you used to work at Faith Chapel, right? And I was like, no, you know, actually I used to work at Harvest, um, but that's okay. Like I get it. They're you know, kind of the same thing for a lot of people. There's two big churches in town. And so I was like, no, actually I used to work at Harvest Church. I was a youth pastor there for quite a while. And she's like, oh, that's really cool because my daughter recognized you. There's a coffee shop she used to work at and you used to go in there a bunch. I was like, yeah, you know, a lot of pastors find their way in there just because they get sick of their office and want to hang out. And so we're chit-chatting about life. And she's like, so what have you been up to? I was like, well, you know, I'm working here at Hanks now. I'm going to school, trying to finish my degree and pursue some other things in life. And then she drops this bomb on me. She asked the question, you still believe, right? Now, that's a really loaded question because what does that mean? You still believe, right? So in that moment, my mind, um, my my brain processes this and, you know, the, the computer that's between my ears starts, you know, going into overdrive and wondering what to say. And I, I noticed this fear and this insecurity and this worry start popping up in me about this, what this woman might think about me. And what ends up happening is I look at her and say, of course, of course, I still believe. And she says, oh, that's good. And she walks away. And in the moment I was like, okay, uh, crisis averted, got out of that situation. That was fine. And what ended up happening is I stood there for a moment and for what felt like a lifetime was only a couple seconds. I just thought to myself, what did I just say to her? What, what was that? And, and over the next week, I lost a lot of sleep over that because, because, because of fear and control and insecurity, I wasn't honest with myself and I wasn't honest with someone else. Just like that situation back at youth group, that I wasn't honest with myself or someone else because of my fear and insecurity and worry and ultimately my desire to control the situation and what people think of me. See, this is ultimately where I wonder if the idea of agree to disagree gets very difficult because what it takes is two sides of a story. It takes two people who want to listen. It takes two people who want to be honest. And for me, this is where it breaks down and it gets very, very difficult For me, I feel like because of just my personality and who I am, I've always been a good listener and a good question asker, but whenever it comes to being fully honest about certain situations, my guards go up and my insecurities flare up and my fears go haywire. And I don't know about you, if that's what happens to you too, but I don't, do you ever find yourself in those positions where you aren't allowed to be fully honest with who you are and where you're at in that moment? And so you're dishonest with yourself and therefore you're dishonest with other people. And therefore the, your side of the story isn't actually told. And this, this is the ultimate breakdown for me. This is where it becomes so difficult and, and scary that, that my, my, my hands are gripped so tightly on the reins of fear and insecurity and control that I don't get to be honest with myself or with other people. And it's been this way for most of my life. Because what should have happened, you know, in 2016 at youth groups, I should have stood up in front of everyone and said, guess what? I don't think that this student is, I don't think you're going to hell because you're gay. I shouldn't have been worried about the consequences or what people thought about me or losing respect or the fear and security because that's what I believe. And at the time I was too afraid to share it. That I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to stand up in front of a group of people and potentially lose 
their admiration and respect and potentially lose my job and my paycheck. But what I should have done is stood up there and looked at this student and all the other students and leaders in the eye and said, no, I don't think you're going to go to hell because you're gay. And what I should have said to the woman at the end of the bar when she asked me, you still believe, right? What I should have said was, I'm not really sure what you mean by that. Are you talking about your beliefs? Are you talking about the beliefs you assume I held when I worked at a church? Because if I'm being honest with you right now, miss, I don't think I believe in, in much anymore. In fact, in fact, with where I'm at now, I would probably call myself an agnostic. Not even probably. I would call myself an agnostic with where I'm at right now. And that's what I should have said because that is being honest with myself and with the people around me. And in order for this thing called agree to disagree to happen, I have to be honest with myself and my story and my narrative and be honest with other people. And those are two of the probably hundreds or thousands of times in my life that I haven't had the chance to be honest with myself or other people and invite them into my story about who I am and where I'm at. And it, it's hard to reflect on that in that way. Of all the opportunities I've missed to be honest with myself and be honest with other people and tell my story and invite them into my story. Because like I said earlier, stories are powerful. Stories contain so much power your story, my story, the Epic of Gilgamesh, these stories contain power. And if we can't tell them and be honest about them, then I don't know what we're doing. In 2014, while I was a youth pastor still, um, this um, large behemoth of a man uh, walks in the doors. And uh, he brings his wife and his two oldest kids of seven with them to the youth group. And he says, hey, we're here to check this out. Um, we've been, you know, the kids have been coming for a couple of weeks. They really seem to like it. And so we want to get to know you and we think we want to help. And so, uh, that, that next week, um, my wife and I take our new, these, this new couple, Larry and Teresa out to dinner and we're sitting at Bull Mountain Grill in the Billings Heights area. And we start talking and pretty instantaneously, I noticed that there's this relationship and friendship with Larry that is, um, it's one of those friendships that, you know, those people you meet where immediately you hit it off and immediately there's like, there's like shared jokes and there's like common uh, language and laughter and, and even some common things of like, it's just, it's just amazing. Like there's just those people in life who I'm convinced we just connect to faster than other people. We all have them. I've met, I've met a handful of people like that in my lifetime. And, and I'm really fortunate to say all of them are still in my life that there's just these people who we just connect on this deep, intimate, almost spiritual level, if you will, not spiritual, like religious, but like, it's, it's just deep. It's in your guts and you're like, yeah, we're friends. And so we're at dinner with Larry and Teresa and things are going really well. And we hit it off. And so Larry and Teresa are like, Hey, you know, I think we're going to come check out the youth group and try and be a part of it. And they do, and they stick around. And so Larry starts, you know, bugging me for more time. And I'm really, really quick to oblige him because I'm having so much fun with him. So the way my schedule worked as a pastor is I had Mondays off and Larry had a pretty flexible job and still does. He manages his time really well and he's really good at what he does. And so every Monday we would meet at the church and play ping pong on Mondays at lunch. So he'd usually bring lunch and we'd play ping pong for like two hours and quickly we start exhausting every topic we can and recycling through topics and it's really fun and we're play, he's, he's a really good ping pong player so I'm getting better and so just everything about it is fun. And then one day... I noticed there's a particular topic that um, I'm, I'm curious about in 
Larry's life. And so I press into it and lean into it and I say, hey man, would you tell me more about that? And he stops the game and looks at me and he says, no, I can't tell you more about that. And me being worried that I offended or maybe triggered something or just didn't want to hurt him, I was like, hey man, no worries, just was curious. And he's like, no, I would gladly tell you. But the problem is you tell your wife everything. And I don't need her to know this about me. Maybe in time, maybe someday when I give her that permission, but, but I can't. I can't have you telling your wife everything about me. It was really interesting. So just, you know, as a side note, like one of the things in the evangelical world is I think pastors do tell their wives a lot because I think they want people who are safe to process with. And so um, that's not to scare any way from their, anyone away from their evangelical pastor friends, but that was one of the mistakes I made that I told Michaela too much. Um, and so I had this conversation with Michaela at that time that I was like, Hey, you know, I think I tell you a lot more than I should. And I think there's some sacred spaces that I need to make for other people. And so I need to start pumping the bricks on what I tell you about the people I interact with. And she's like, great. She responded really well. And she's like, I get that. I hope you didn't feel like I was, you know, making you tell me all those things. I was like, no, 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 no. I just think you were a person to help me process with. And so I go back to Larry and we start talking about this. And after the next six months, there's this kind of this like cone of silence developed around Larry and me in the ping pong table. And Larry starts really opening up to me about his life, his ideas, his thoughts, things that are very intimate and personal that I lock away, that I keep, that are mine and his because we are friends. And so one day, so that starts in 2014, we're friends for 2014, 2015. Guess what? 2016 rolls around. Go figure. That's how a calendar works. 2016 rolls around. And this question that is plaguing me is looming over me for that whole year of wanting to teach students. 2016. Uh, yeah, 2016. So yeah, I think that's what it was. So, so one day over ping pong, I take a risk because Larry's been so vulnerable and honest with me about some things. I take a calculated risk and I go, Hey man, I really want to look at this youth group and this student. I really want to tell them that I don't think that anyone's going to hell because they're gay. And he just looks at me and he says, okay, thanks for telling me that. And I was like, you're not going to convince me otherwise. You're not going to try and change my mind. And I, and I, I told him everything I've told you and, and more about how much I was struggling with it. And he's like, no, I don't need to change your mind. Thanks for sharing that with me. Thanks for telling me that part of your story. And if you need anything from me in, in trying to resolve this, I'll help you work through it with you. And so I, I, I take this vulnerable moment and I tell Larry about this question and what I'm struggling with. And he just looks at me and says, okay, thanks for telling me that. We're good. And in that moment, what I noticed is that there was a crack in my armor that, that the armor that held out, the armor that held in fear and insecurity and held out the world and anything that might be vulnerable um, started to be exposed. That there were actually people in this world that I could tell my story to and be honest with them about who I am and where I'm at. And that started in 2016. That same year, I left Harvest Church um, to go, like I said, do other things. Um, I went through a pretty massive deconstruction and you can go listen to that if you want, but I left Harvest and in 2016, in July of 2016, I walk into the doors of CMYK and Matt Blakesley's there, um, whom we've, we've been in similar circles, you know, cause like the Harvest and Faith Chapel circles become very small. Um, and so I walk in and Matt greets me with a smile, um, and we start talking and hanging out and getting coffee. And slowly I realized that Matt Blakesley is one of the most honest and vulnerable men I've ever met. 
And if you don't know much about the story of CMYK and how it became what it is today, I, I would encourage you to lean into that because Matt Blakesley is a man who has been honest and vulnerable and been so willing to share his story no matter the cost. He's been honest about who he is and where he's at, and it has hurt him, and he has lost friends over it, and he has been beat up over it and criticized, and yet he still remains honest about who he is and where he's at as a human being with himself and with the world around him. And over the last two years, I don't know if I've ever met a more honest person in my entire life. As I spend more time with Matt Blakesley, it puts me at a place where I really, really, really want to be more honest with the people around me. About a month ago, after one of the CMYK gatherings, I'm sitting at Matt's house on his couch and we're drinking some beers and we're talking and I'm frustrated and I look at him and say, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic at this point. And Matt looks back at me and says, okay, thanks for telling me that. We're good. And in a moment where traditionally fear and control and insecurity would have taken over and that would have been bottled up inside me. I took a risk on someone who I knew to be honest with himself and with the world around him. And I was met with the most gracious response, which was love and friendship. That both what Larry and Matt have taught me is that I wonder if we can grow into places of being honest with ourselves about who we are and where we're at in the world. And then therefore turn that around to the world around us. And the question that I tack onto it also is I have to, I have to look at the people around me and people like you as listener and say, what would it look like if you got to be honest about who you are and where you're at? That to tell your story meant you looked deep within yourself and looked at your situation, your circumstance, and who you were, and you were honest with yourself about who you are and where you're at and how you exist in this world. And then you were honest with the people around you. Now, what I'm about to say to you is going to sound like some of you are going to write this off as some self-help bullcrap, and that's fine. That, that's fine. Because what I'm not going to do today is I'm not going to wrap this talk up in Jesus packaging and sell it to you like, like something it's not. Because all I can tell you is my story and all I can do is be honest about who I am and where I'm at and be honest with you about it. And what I found is the more honest I get with myself and then with the people around me, the more I actually like who I am as a human being. That for most of my 29 years on this earth, I've hated myself. I've always felt like a liar. I've always felt like I've been withholding things from the world around me that I couldn't actually be myself. And as I engage these friendships with Matt and Larry, I realize that I get to be myself because I have safe places to agree to disagree. You notice Matt and Larry didn't correct me on my views or try and change my mind. They just looked at me and said, okay, I love you. We're good. And for the first time in most of my 29 years of life, I look in the mirror and I don't hate myself. I don't hate what I see. I'm not disgusted by the man standing there who for the longest time has just been a liar to the world around him. That for the first time I walk with my head up and my chest out because I like me because I get to be honest about who I am and where I'm at with myself and the world around me. And that's why I can't wrap this up with some Jesus packaging and sell it to you that way, because 
I don't I don't know if that's what this is. I don't think that's what this is. I think this is very simply me accepting my story about who I am and where I'm at and sharing it with the world around me. That for me to lean into the idea of agree to disagree is me embracing who I am and where I'm at and then sharing it. And hopefully I'm met with places and spaces like Larry and Matt who are willing to listen with love and care and go, okay, we're good. And when you're ready to talk about that more, you let me know. So you're allowed to boil this down to some self-help mumbo jumbo if you'd like. I don't care. Because this is my story. A man in his late 20s trying to be more honest with himself and the world around him. And it's going pretty good. (laughs) So what I leave you with is two thoughts. What would it look like for you to be more honest about who you are and where you're at, especially with yourself? What would it look like for you to be more honest with yourself about who you are and where you're at? And what would it look like to take that honest narrative about who you are and where you're at to the spaces around you to lean into agree to disagree? Because the only way to do that is for you to be honest with yourself and then honest with other people about who you are. So I hope that gives you some good ideas to chew on and to wrestle with. And I need you to know that I love you. And no matter what story you decide to bring my way, I want to look at you. And whether it's agree to disagree (laughs) or me fully embracing it and accepting it or whatever that looks like, I want you to know that this is a space where we can be honest about who we are and where we're at. I sure do love you guys. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, week, whatever time of day it is. And I will talk to you again soon. Goodbye, my friends.